If you've been coming to Alliance um, for any period of time, uh, you know we are committed to expositional preaching. That is, we study the Bible together verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. That allows us to do a couple of very important things. First, it allows us to study all the Bible, not just, well, you know, the popular or easy verses. Second, it forces us to take passages in their context, looking at verses that come both before and after to make sure that our understanding of the text is correct. Context is critical, even indispensable to a proper understanding of the Bible. Well, as you may know, the Gospel of Luke is the last and longest um, book of the New Testament that we will have studied together, meaning that we've covered the um, other 26 New Testament books, interestingly, in the last 26 years. Do not think for a moment that we will get through Luke in one year. (laughs) Uh, I say all of that to say I personally have never taught through the book of of Luke. Uh, To be sure, I've taught some passages in Luke, especially in those first couple of chapters during special times, you know, like Christmas, for example. I've taught the Annunciation before. That is the text that we looked at last week when Gabriel appeared to Mary and told her she was going to have a son, not just any son, but the Son of God. That's a great Christmas text. I've taught through the first part of chapter Two, uh, the birth of Christ, you know, the Charlie Brown Christmas story uh, narrated by Linus, the, the decree of, uh, by Caesar Augustus, Augustus Joseph and Mary's trip to Bethlehem, no room in the inn, um, the birth of Jesus, <laughs> presumably in a stable, uh, the, the announcement to and um, visit by uh, lowly shepherds. I, I love the story. My kids will tell you that I read it every Christmas morning, usually, uh, honestly, through tears. I've even mentioned Mary's Magnificat, which, Lord willing, we will cover next week. But again, I have never taught uh, through this book before, that is, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And so, as we are still only in chapter one, I must tell you that I have been overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by these very familiar stories as we look at them in, the, in their context as Luke intentionally recorded them. We've seen this over the past couple of weeks. Luke switches back and forth between the birth narratives of John the Baptist and Jesus. Quite intentionally, he's weaving them together. We've noted, for example, lots of similarities we are supposed to, and some differences, as Luke intends to highlight the supremacy and infinite greatness of Jesus. And let me sum up yet again the similarities with this particular list uh, this week. There are similar announcements to Zacharias and, and Mary about the miraculous births uh, of their sons. They were, they, they were also named, by the way, by Gabriel. One would be John and one would be uh, Jesus. Both of these sons are fulfillments of Old Testament prophecies. John would be the forerunner of the Messiah. Jesus, of course, would be the Messiah. The similar but different reactions to the announcements by Zacharias and Mary are recorded, both, well, both questioning the announcement. After all, both births would be incredible, if not miraculous. One would be to an older, barren woman, well advanced in years. One would be to a younger, virgin woman, and a young teenager. It's really pretty incredible. And so Zechariah's question was one of, of doubt. How can I know for sure that this will be? And Mary's question was one of wonder. How can this be? 
I'm a virgin. Both Zacharias and Mary are then given signs corresponding to their respective questions. Zacharias will be mute until John was born, a sort of discipline for his unbelief. Conversely, Mary was told of barren Elizabeth's pregnancy as evidence that, well, nothing is impossible with God. Both mothers, Elizabeth and Mary, respond with surrender, surrender to the sovereign will and the very good power of God. And Further, Mary responds with a song of praise. Well, Zacharias will too, but not till he gets his voice back after the birth of John. There's more, but we'll, we'll stop with these. The, the point is, Luke is an incredible author with very intentional purposes. Of course, his overall purpose, as stated, is so that we can know with certainty the things that we have been taught and believed. Struggling in your Christian faith? Well, then read Luke. That's what it's there for. Look at the life of Jesus again. But, but he weaves together the birth narratives in a way that, well, in a way that should amaze us, even overwhelm us. See, I've, I've taught a couple of these stories at Christmas, but honestly, I have missed the obvious connections that going verse by verse reveals. And over the last couple of weeks, especially this week, I want you to know that I have been overwhelmed by a couple of women, supposed to be, an older barren woman and a younger virgin woman. I'm supposed to be amazed at their faith, their their trust, their willingness to submit to God, even in in the midst of some societally adverse circumstances. Frankly, they've proven to be, well, at least for me, encouraging and rather convicting. So let's look at these two mothers, related, by the way, and be overwhelmed by them. And maybe, men, listen, listen to me, men, maybe even seek to be like them. Hmm. Maybe we Protestants have thought a little much too little of this young virgin named Mary. We'll read the text in a moment, but till now we've looked at these two women separately, and now they meet, and it is an incredible meeting. Two in this society, that society then, overlooked, marginalized, humble, poor. I I say this gently, two inconspicuous, rather non-spectacular women. You would never have known their names. If it wasn't for God's gracious choice of them, you see, they were used by God to bear the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah, to bear the, the, the forerunner, I mean, but to bear the Messiah himself. Be amazed. You're supposed to be. These are not likely the heroes we would have chosen. Martin Luther asked the question, why not Caiaphas' daughter and the hallowed high priestly precincts of Jerusalem to be the mother of Jesus? I mean, come on. She was well known, known to be beautiful and often opulently dressed, the, the daughter of, of wealth and religiosity. She would, she would have made a much better mother of either one of these two boys, right? Isn't that what we think? Well, unless God's purposes and grading scale are a bit different than ours. You see, the, the truth is we can learn from these two and even seek to emulate them in a culture like ours who would hardly even notice them. I mean, come on. 
Let's be honest. Who makes the cover of People magazine or the episodes of Bachelor and Bachelorette? None, neither one I've ever watched and neither should you. <laughs> Who has more followers on Instagram? Th- these two, come on. So, who do you want to be like? What glamour, what wealth, what popularity, what notoriety impresses you? I will warn you that this story is overwhelming because of its unexpected simplicity and rather two-bit, heretofore unknown characters. No Academy Awards, no Oscars for them, but, well, maybe there should be. Maybe they're more important than we give them credit for. Outline of the text is going to go, I'm going to give you the outline ahead of reading the text this week. We're going to see Mary's greeting followed by Elizabeth's response. And don't worry, next week we're going to look at Mary's phrase, also known as the Magnificat. So, so let's read the text. Now listen, ladies, I have said over and over that Luke makes much of women in a society that did not. They, they were of a lower cast, if you will. But in this text, Luke elevates them to a degree that causes all of us, are you listening, women and men, to aspire to be like them. There's a historical fiction author. Her name is Francine Rivers. I'm sure the ladies have heard of her. How many of you have ever read Francine Rivers? Yeah, all the ladies' hands go up. Um, uh, You men, listen. The, the first series that I ever read of hers was called the Mark of the Lion series. It was about a guy named Marcus and a girl named, a, a girl, a believer named Hadassah. Three, three volumes. I got finished. You don't need to read the third one. It's a waste of time. But the first, but the, no, 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 but the first, but the first two, absolutely unbelievable. I remember closing the second book in tears saying, I want to be just like Hadassah. Not, not Marcus. Is it, is it possible that these women have characteristics, qualities that we should seek to emulate men? I think so. So let's read the text. Luke chapter 1, verses 39, all the way to verse 45. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her. By the Lord, did you, did you see it? Do you see their strength, their, their humility, their surrender, their faith? It comes out clearly in the Annunciation stories. It comes out clearly in Mag, Mary's Magnificat. In other words, we're going to see it when we see it in its context. Let me start with Mary's greeting in the first couple of verses. Verse 39 begins with, now at this time. What, what time? 
Well, Gabriel has just announced to Mary, a virgin, that she will conceive and give birth to the promised Messiah. He will be called Son of the Most High, and he will sit forever on David's throne. It, his kingdom will never end. It's a rather significant description of this son named Jesus to be born. <laughs> but Mary was stuck on, you will conceive. What? Yeah, apparently, even though she was betrothed to Joseph and would soon be getting married, she seemed to understand this conception would take place immediately before marriage. Wait a minute, she says. How, how can this be, since I am a virgin? Gabriel tells her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. For this reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Remember, hers is not a question of unbelief. It was one of, of wonder, of process, if you will. How? Remember, she was a young girl, 13, 14 years of age. Is it possible, men, that we can learn from a young teenage girl? Supposed to. And Gabriel gives her a sign. She didn't ask for one. He just graciously gave it to her. So again, uh, she, she would know that nothing is impossible with God. Here's the sign. Your relative Elizabeth has conceived. You know, the one who has been called barren. And even now, you're not going to believe that she's in her sixth month. And so Mary's incredible response, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. An incredible response of a young teenage girl, an incredible response of surrender and faith. Are we listening? Think about what this meant. It is suggested one reason for the betrothal period was to prove the purity of the betrothed, well, especially the girl. They, they had gone through the uh, ceremony to be pledged to one another, but the marriage ceremony and consummation of the union would come about a year later. Uh, they would live in their own homes, likely with their parents, at least Mary. The, the, the day would come, a celebration would take place, a, a parade where Mary would be escorted from her old home to her new home. It was something that every young girl uh, in that culture looked forward to. Well, what, while most marriages at this time were arranged, by this time the, 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 the bride and groom did have some say in the matter. But the angel just told her, you're, you're going to conceive. Now listen, we as readers know that it won't be the normal way, husband and wife coming together. But, but, but really, who would believe this outlandish tale? That that which is conceived in you is by the Holy Spirit? Sure, Mary. Sure. Even Joseph, who was likely in love with Mary, didn't believe it. It was within Old Testament law to have her stoned. He was considering divorcing, divorcing, divorcing her and putting her away um, privately. We find that in, in Matthew chapter 1. Wedding ceremony that she had dreamed about never happened. Nope. Marital joy, not likely. Who would want this unfaithful bride? Her life... At this moment, as far as she knows, potentially ruined. Can you imagine the whisperings, the gossip, the judgment, the condemnation? Even later when Jesus was an adult, many years later, the religious leaders referred to him as illegitimate. <laughs> we don't know who the father is. After all, she never confessed. He never came forward to claim her, well, unless it was Joseph, that would have been shame and embarrassment, maybe even being ostracized. 
Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Come what may. That's incredible. That's incredible faith and incredible surrender. There's a sense in which we are expected to believe and surrender, you see, in the same way. We believe the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus, unbelievable as it is. And we believe in his promised return. You believe that old myth? Where is this promise of his coming? Ridicule, being ostracized, perhaps even rising persecution. Can she be an example to us? Come what may. This time, seemingly immediately after the Annunciation, Mary arose and went in a hurry, it speaks of being with haste or with eagerness, to to the hill country, to a city of Judah. We're never told the name of the city, but the hill country is considered to be a a bit south of uh, of Jerusalem, making the trip from Nazareth up to a 70 or 80 mile trip for a teenage girl. It appears she made the trip quickly to see Elizabeth, who was advanced in years, past childbearing years, yet apparently in her sixth month, that's what Gabriel said, it was the sign he gave her, so Mary goes to see. The trip would normally take three to four days. Oh, and not only was she a young teenage girl, she was a pregnant virgin. Even as I say those words, those words don't go together. Pregnant virgin. No wonder she was in a hurry to see affirmation that what she had been told was true. She gets to the city, enters the house of Zacharias, greets Elizabeth. We don't know what she said, simply a greeting loud enough to be heard, not only by the matron of the house, but by the child Elizabeth carried, which brings us to the second point, Elizabeth's response. When when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Stop right there. This six-month-old baby in utero Verse 44 tells us, leapt for joy in his mother's womb. One author writes, John was the greatest prophet of the old covenant, the one called to announce the coming of the Christ. Jesus was the Christ, the Lord of the new covenant. So when Mary met Elizabeth, the covenants connected, they collided, and there was a spontaneous outburst of exultant joy as the old covenant greeted the new. That's a great paragraph. By this age, I'm told that infants in the womb are moving about a little bit, have no personal experience, swimming around using arms and legs as they are able. When we were pregnant, <laughs> do you like that way I said that? When we, isn't that way you guys do it? When we were pregnant? <laughs> Actually, when my wife was pregnant, when Tana was pregnant with our first, I would get home from work late, uh, climb into bed, and start talking to Stephen, our oldest. No, literally, I'd go down to her stomach and start talking to Stephen. I would start jostling her stomach, wake him up, and we'd play a little. He'd stick out, literally, literally a little bit later, he, he would stick on an appendage, sometimes enough for me to grab it. Then after a few minutes, I'd say, good night, turn over and go to sleep, <laughs> leaving her with an now awakened baby. <laughs> That's a really nice guy. <laughs> In this case... John heard Mary's voice, a voice he had never heard, and he leapt for joy. He knew. Now, people 
argue whether it was a conscious, knowledgeable leap. Did John know what he was doing? I'm not sure that we can answer that question. Frankly, don't think it matters, but it does speak of John's personhood. Well, what we do know is that he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. What we do know is that he was the forerunner, listen, preparing the way, announcing the coming of the Messiah. Here is his first announcement. One writes, he is the first to use the womb for a pulpit. His, His ministry began three months before his birth. He was already doing the ministry that God had prepared him to do, announcing the presence of Christ, the Son of God. And don't miss this either. Jesus was three, maybe four days old, a fetus, as I go, as I understand. And John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, knew who he was, who this baby inside Mary, a couple of days old, was in his personhood. <laughs> From conception, you see. And by the way, John's ministry was one of, did you see it? One of joy. He leapt for joy. And it continued. In John chapter 3, John is speaking after Jesus has come. Jesus has been baptized, entered his public ministry. More people were following Jesus than John. I mean, these two cousins, they, 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 they had turned out in droves to see John, but now they're, they're, they're leaving John and going to follow Jesus. And someone asked John, aren't, aren't you just a little bit jealous? To which John says, he, was, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, that's me who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase and I must decrease. You see, this is what followers of Jesus do. Point people to Jesus. That's what made John great. Something else interesting, i just take a little aside here. Full joy, we read, that John had, even from his mother's womb, yet he never drank wine or liquor. But this was a life of joy. Seems like it's possible, I don't know, to be happy, joy-filled while walking with Christ. In fact, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace... That's why Paul said, don't look to outside influences like alcohol to bring you joy, as if you think that that's going to do it for you. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That, you understand, is unparalleled joy. You see, there's always an expression of joy when people meet Jesus as the Christ. When people begin to understand who Jesus is, they recognize um, what, what, what he did for them, like John did. And so what other possible response can there be but unmitigated joy? So are you looking for joy? Listen, you find ultimate joy in Jesus, not in what this world falsely offers you. John was filled with the Spirit even from his mother's womb. (laughs) Someone asked me just this week, does this mean that he was saved in utero? I don't know. I I kind of doubt it. It takes explicit faith in Jesus to be saved. But in some special way, John was filled and prepared for the ministry that he was called to do. Do you understand that? It's a perfect picture of God enabling the called, not calling the enabled. He was a fetus when God called him enabled him. In other words, if God calls you to some ministry, don't worry about your meager abilities. 
John was a baby, yet filled by the Spirit, he could do what God called him to do. The same is true with you. Oh, and by the way, if you read the gospel narratives carefully, it seems that John's ministry lasted already about six months. Greatest man who ever lived. You can do much for the cause of Christ for as long or as little as God gives you, gives you as long as you are faithful. The second thing that happened when Elizabeth and uh, baby John heard Mary's voice was Elizabeth herself was now filled with the Spirit. When, when Christ arrived, I love this, when Christ arrived, John leapt for joy. When Christ arrived, Elizabeth shouted for joy. We, we, we find that often um, in, 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 in the Scripture, when people meet Jesus, they can't help but shout for joy because of who he is and what he's done. In Scripture, people are often filled with the Spirit for a particular task, Samson, Saul, David, etc. In this particular case, Elizabeth cried out with a loud voice, a phrase often used of something important or prophetic. Blessing are you among, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Wait, what? Blessed is what? How did Elizabeth know? Clearly, uh, Mary is pregnant by, by now. The Spirit has come upon her. The power of the Most High has overshadowed her. She is conceived, which means by now she made that long, arduous trip on foot while pregnant. But it's only been a few days. She wouldn't be showing for weeks. She's just a few days pregnant. How in the world did Elizabeth know she was filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning, don't miss it, this is important, not only was the pregnancy of Elizabeth confirmation to Mary that what Gabriel had said would come to pass, the exclamation of Elizabeth now confirms it as well. That's why she made the trip. You see, it's even possible, I would say likely, that Mary herself did not know at this point that she was with child. She did now. Blessed is the fruit of your womb, a Hebrew saying to speak of pregnancy. Uh, by the way, the word for blessed is the word eulogeo, from which we get our word eulogy. It, you've heard those at funerals when we say good words. That's what the word means, good words about the deceased. Eulogeo, blessed, honored. Mary is the fruit of your womb, the child that you are carrying. But also blessed, same word, are you among women. But there it's used in the, as a superlative. You are most blessed among women. Again, as we talked last week, this is not a blessing that Mary has earned or produced. It is a blessing that she has received. She is most blessed among all women because she was chosen, are you listening to me, to bear the Messiah, the Son of God, producing salvation for those of us who believe. There could be no greater blessing than that. God brought the Messiah, born of a woman. This would have been shocking in this day. Galatians 1 says, Later, when Mary and her Magnificat says, from this time on, all generations will count me as blessed. Shocking. Once again, she was blessed. Not, she was not the blessing. She was not the source of blessing. She was the blessed one. She was the graced one, chosen to bear the Savior of the world. So last week when I suggested we as Protestants perhaps make too little of Mary, this is what I mean. While undeserved, she was the one who gave birth to our Savior. So it's appropriate, I think, like Elizabeth, that we honor these women 
for these greatest of honors. Doesn't make Mary perfect or without need of a savior or the object of our prayers, the queen of heaven, all the things that we talked about last week, but it is appropriate to honor her for the way that she was honored. Does that make sense to me? To honor her for the way that she was honored. Listen, one day I will look her up in heaven. When we get to heaven, I'm going to look her up. She won't be sitting on a throne as some queen of heaven, but she will be blessed, the most blessed of women. And I think it is appropriate to honor her as such. As we're all one day gathered around the throne, his throne, praising him for his work toward us. I will see her. Not only see her as one unassuming and undeserving, but saving someone like me. Undeserving and unassuming. That's who Mary was. Is it possible to learn something from her? I intended to get through the Magnificat, but clearly I won't. But look at the two other things that Elizabeth said as we close this morning. Verse 43. And how, listen, listen to the wonder. How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? Most agree that my Lord refers to Jesus at least as the promised Messiah, but most also suggest that Elizabeth said more than she knew. I'm not sure about that. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. But when she referred to Mary's baby as my Lord, most agree that it was a title of deity. You see, in the first two chapters of Luke, the word Lord is used almost two dozen times to refer to God, and here it refers to Jesus. Several times through both Luke and Acts, Lord is used as the title of deity. Luke records Peter's first sermon about Jesus, which says these words, for it was not, for was it, it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, Psalm 110, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstools for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus is clearly Lord and and Christ, a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy found in Psalm 110 and other places. And so Elizabeth says, how is it that the mother of my Lord, stop right there. This is odd. You've got to know the culture of the day. Elizabeth was the older one, significantly older, by the way, well advanced in years. Mary, young teenager. Not only that, Elizabeth was the wife of a priest of the line of Aaron. In, in, yet in this honor-shame culture, the older woman says to the younger one, how is it that you would come to me? Such humility. Is it possible that we can learn something from these women? Is it possible that perhaps we should dispense with this idea that there's some kind of hierarchy around here and, we, and there are certain people who deserve more honor than others? Elizabeth was herself pregnant. Years of shame because of her barrenness were washed away in a moment. She was now expecting. Remember, she had earlier said, he, that is God, looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. But such honor did not make her now arrogant. She demonstrated great humility. Think of it. Should it not have been the other way around? Should not Mary be showing honor to this aged, expecting relative? I'm confident that she did. But Elizabeth is a picture 
of grace and humility as Mary will be next week. How is it that you would come to me? She put herself, though, higher socially in the place of a servant. Should we not do the same? Finally, the last thing she says in verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Stop, stop right there. What a contrast. Her husband, a man, <laughs> Zacharias, had not believed. Mary, young teenage girl, had. That's why she made the four-day, uh, 80-mile trip to see Elizabeth. Because what's happened? FaceTime would not work. It would take a personal visit at great personal cost and a demonstration of great faith. Is it possible that we can learn from these women? Word blessed is different from the word that the one that Elizabeth used earlier. It's makarios. You perhaps know that. It speaks of an inward joy unaffected by outward circumstances. It speaks of God's favor upon a person. It's the word Jesus will later use in his Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Oh, that's interesting. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For they'll see the kingdom of God. Further, blessed inward joy despite outward unbelief all around us is for all those. He, 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 Elizabeth doesn't use the second person to speak to Mary. She speaks of Mary. Blessed are all those who believe what our Lord has spoken will, will be fulfilled. One notes that Elizabeth's former blessing was because of Mary's motherhood and blessed child. This blessing is because of Mary's faith. She believed and was blessed, as will all of us who have faithful, unfaltering belief. What an example these two are for us today. I would suggest. I've been overwhelmed. One writes, these two were to become innocent co-conspirators, soul sisters in the divine plot to save the lost. (laughs) I like that. They were women of great strength and great faith and great trust and great humility and great honor. The list goes on and on. They were uh, the first to believe that God had come to redeem his people. They were first to be told that God was coming, and they were the first to believe it. They are here, you see, to demonstrate faith and faithfulness to us in the midst of a culture of doubt and denial. It is an encouragement to us to continue to believe even when there is great cost in doing so, when it's remarkable, even unbelievable. Let's believe like Elizabeth and Mary. Let's stand for prayer. Father, these stories are intentionally recorded in this way. We we looked at the the, the message of Zacharias and didn't believe and struck mute. And when Elizabeth, when she is pregnant, shame washed away, she believed. Mary, little Mary, makes this long, arduous trip while pregnant because she believes. 
You gave her a confirming sign, unnecessary as it was. You did it because you're gracious. Father, would you help us to have the same kind of faith, strong faith in the midst of a culture that would look at us as foolish, that would perhaps look at us as marginalized, the fringes of society. What in the world do you guys take your Sunday mornings to do this nonsense? Would you help us believe? Strengthen our faith. Make us like these sisters, Elizabeth and Mary, unfaltering in our faith. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.